It is a true honor to be back here for year two of the Startup Health Festival. Um, we were here last year participating in an incredibly exciting uh, series of days that really built upon all the work that had been done to date by the Startup Health team and all the healthcare transformers. Um, what we're seeing here this year in year two uh, is all the more exciting. And it's, I've got an easy job here because I feel that even though um, I'm getting to meet a lot of new people. Each time I come to another Startup Health event and get more involved, I get to reconnect with friends. And it's that friendship and collaboration that is really going to drive the innovation that is required to really move healthcare forward. Yesterday, uh, as Barry mentioned, we had really an incredible day of speakers um, and thoughts and ideas come forward. And there were a few themes that came out through the course of that day. Um, one that Bill McDermott from SAP touched on was the need for more trust amongst everyone in this room. If we're going to take on one of the greatest challenges in really that we've ever faced as a population in transforming healthcare and improving care for all, then we're going to have to trust each other and we're going to have to work to collaborate even further. Um, another theme that comes through all of my discussions with all of the transformers and many of the speakers. Uh, both yesterday and in years past, uh, is determination. And that is something that uh, Jerry Levin brought to, to light yesterday towards the end of Bill McDermott's speech um, when he uh, made reference to the famous quote of, you know, miles to go before we sleep. Um, that's a quote that has always stood with me, and I've always uh, enjoyed that. And I think it really speaks to all the work that's left to be done. And the last really builds upon the first two, which is that message of collaboration. Uh, Vice President, and I will pause for a second and say how amazing it is to be standing right where Vice President Biden stood yesterday, um, and I'm going to have a lot of fun getting to share that with my family, but um, in any event, it's collaboration, and, and Joe Biden challenged everyone in this crowd to get together to collaborate and, and challenge the ways in which innovation occurs and says that too often we fall victim to the older ways of protecting ideas um, in the, in, in, in relying on those systems. And if we're really going to try to move forward, then we need to break down those walls and find new ways to collaborate. I think it's a message that resonates with everybody here. You wouldn't be in this room if you didn't get those three things, but those are the themes that really came out to me yesterday. And I'm thrilled to be back here again today for more incredible discussions and thoughts. And with that, I will uh, yield the floor to Steve Krein. Thank you. This first panel that I'm honored to moderate includes three very special people um, that have come into my life over the past many years um, that have made and beginning to make different impacts. But the first person I'm going to ask to come up is someone who from day one, actually day zero of Startup Health, has been contributing to the success of building this organization and this army of entrepreneurs we call health transformers by not an investment alone, but more importantly, a pure and sincere passion for entrepreneurship and innovation and change. And the number of things I cannot even count on two hands that Esther Dyson continues to contribute to the success of the transformation of healthcare. Please join me in a warm welcome for Esther Dyson. The, uh, the next person I'd like to call up is uh, Dr. David Feinberg, uh, the CEO of Geisinger Health, one of our newest friends and partners. And you're going to hear about a, new, a big announcement that they started to make, I guess, last week, but you're going to hear more details about today. One of Way, Way to Wellville's partners that Esther Dyson's working with. Please join me welcoming uh, David Feinberg, CEO of Geisinger Health, who is going to discuss uh, innovation hubs with us. And then finally, uh, Dr. Richard Zane, who I have to tell you, I got to know over the past year because uh, UC Health is one of the three partners at the universe, at the Anschutz Medical Campus in Colorado that helped us announce over the past year Startup Health Colorado. But I've really had the, the honor of spending a lot of time getting to know his vision for transforming healthcare and how UC Health and the partners out in Colorado are so committed to the global transformation of healthcare. Dr. Zane, thank you. So, we're kicking off day two. Nothing to be intimidated about from yesterday. Um, we got rid of the Secret Service barriers up here, so no, we don't have to worry about that today, which is nice. 
Um, but before we dig into what your organizations are doing, I think what's way more interesting is who you are individually and why you are all doing what you're doing. And I'm not talking about your job titles or your organizations, but just when you get up every day, what you are committed to doing. And I want to start with Esther, and we'll work our way down. Um, Esther, um, you have been such a pivotal force in transformation of industries um, over the past couple of decades. Um, why so committed today, and why are you doing what you're doing right now? Okay. And Oh. Let's see. Great. Uh, just so you know, this, this was not scheduled. I don't think Steve knows all this. My parents are scientists. And then I studied economics and became a journalist at Forbes magazine. So my, my basic skill is asking questions, trying to figure out why. And then when I see something that I think is stupid, trying to fix it. So. From writing for Forbes, I got involved in the tech industry and had a conference where we had Bill Gates and Steve Jobs, and later on, Mark Zuckerberg and Reid Hoffman, and a couple of health people. So the tech industry, I love it, but a lot of what it does is pretty useless. And I got more and more interested in healthcare. Then I started asking why are we spending so much on healthcare fixing things that are broken instead of keeping them from breaking? And that was when I decided to do what I'm doing now, which is called The Way to Wellville, which is pretty much a demonstration project of what it's like to invest in health as an asset rather than to rent it and chase after it when you no longer have it. Excellent. Uh, who is David Feinberg? Well, thanks, Stephen. It's, uh, I'm uh, thrilled to be here uh, with a great panel. Um, so I, I think the best way to describe what I try to do goes back to when I was in my second year of fellowship in child psychiatry. So I was at UCLA at that time, and uh, I, I say in quotes, I was really, really smart. I was seeing this 12-year-old kid, and his dad was a single father. He was a car salesman, a used car salesman of Cadillacs from Las Vegas. And they brought the 12-year-old in because he was having his first psychotic break. Uh, and I remember exactly when this was because my wife and I had just had our first child, so we had a one-year-old at home. And I'm telling this dad in just really brilliant language, uh, I'm describing, you know, neurotransmitters and dopamine and nucleus incumbents and reuptake inhibitors and anticholinergic stuff. And I'm pretty sleep deprived because uh, we had a one-year-old. And the dad looks me in the eye and he says, are you telling me we got to build a room out back? And I started crying. And I realized then how important it is to be a doc, what a privilege it is, and how important it is to explain things in a way that people understand, uh, to make sure that people have access, that they're treated with care and dignity and respect. And, and that young man and his father, um, I think, righted me from being so smart to trying the best I can to be as caring as possible. And uh, that's all I've been trying to do. Um, before we move on to, uh, to Rich, I'd like to ask just, um, more joy being a physician or a CEO? Well, oh, I don't think I'm a CEO. I, I think I'm one of the 30,000 people that come to work every day at Geisinger to ease people's way when they got something bad happen. I think I'm just part of the healing force. Um, the, the, the joy is in uh, having the privilege and the respect to help people at a vulnerable time. And I, I don't... I don't introduce myself as the CEO. I say, hi, I'm uh, Dr. Feinberg. When I make rounds two hours every day and I give people my cell phone and say, call me if you need anything. I help patients to the commode. I run down to the pharmacy. I, I think I'm one of a team members. It's a real team sport. And the real heroes are our frontline people who do it every day and every night and every holiday and every weekend. So with three million, is it three million lives served every year? Uh, not, an easy, not an easy test, pretty authentic. Cell phone? Yeah, yeah, everyone gets my cell phone number. You want to give it today to everyone? I'd be no? happy to. Uh, <laughs> yeah. All right, perfect. Anybody wants Different it? questions. 
You know the entrepreneurs out there all wrote that down. Uh, Rich? Just hoping I could ask you for your social security number, if that's okay. I think you already have that. I think. Uh, it's really an honor to be here. My name is Rich Zane. Uh, the reason why I do this is because I like to think about everything through the lens of a patient. And when I think about a patient, I think about my wife, my father, my mother, my kids. And I'm a practicing physician. I run an academic department at a medical school, and I'm charged with innovation for a healthcare system. And when you look at the healthcare system through the lens of a patient, you see something that's profoundly, utterly broken. It's disrespectful uh, down to its core. And we have to think about what it is we do as providers. We have to think about what a patient, what's happening to a patient. And there's a word, and Tom Lee, uh, who's on the board of Geisinger and one of my <clears throat> former mentors wrote, a, wrote about this, we have to be comfortable with saying the word suffering. Where people are suffering and our job is to make them better. And we need to do it better. Unlike software or tech where what we do is not useless, the way we do it is not very useful, even though what we do is, is useful. So we need to make it better. In order to do that, we need you. We need to partner with people who think differently, who have a different approach, a different set of resources and a different mindset. And the only way that healthcare can fundamentally become better is to partner with everybody else who's outside of healthcare. Excellent. So I was just told they, they can't hear really well in the back. We have to hold it a little bit closer as we go, as we go around to hear. Plus it's nine in the morning, so yesterday was <laughs> difficult. But um, I want to take this from uh, who you are, which we're going to come back to a little bit. And the, the topic is clearly the rise of the emerging hubs and the regional hubs around the world. Um, we know that uh, you mentioned the, it, it's broken. There's so many problems with healthcare, with whether it's patient care or the way everyone thinks about it. Um, we know that over the next couple of decades, we're going we're gonna to really uh, improve the health and well-being of everyone in the world. If it was up to the entrepreneurs and the investors and the partners, it would happen yesterday. We know we're all on this mission. When you think about it globally, it's almost daunting, the numbers as they add up. When you think of it uh, nationally, it's, it's large as well. But you start to get into the regions, and you, there, it starts to look a little bit different. Um, Esther, you became fascinated with not just major regions, but very small uh, communities around the country. And uh, I think for many who have not understood or heard about before the way to Wellville, why this fascination with the smallest of small communities and rebuilding from the ground up? Okay, so it's, it's not so much a fascination, but again, a scientific notion that if you have a smaller place that's not part of a bigger place, anything you do within that community reverberates inside. So you get a systemic, it's like critical mass makes a bomb explode or it makes a community change. Whereas if you're a suburb of Los Angeles, you, anything you do kind of dissipates out. So the idea was to find five small places that were discrete, ETE, so that we could help them change. How and small? Under 100,000, though it turns out Muskegon was actually 180,000, but close enough. The idea is you don't need to measure people as individuals and turn them into specimens. You can see the community change, uh, ideally. It, we're in year two and a half of 10 years. But we will be measuring A1C and stuff like that, but we also want to measure high school graduations, uh, fewer people in jail, more people employed, and employers being happy and realtors being overbooked. So small, small is a microcosm. We, we're kind of a demonstration project of, of what it looks like to invest in health. And then we want people, you know, as Geisinger said, you know, if those jokers in Wellville could do it, so can we. <laughs> and and, and if, you were to, if you were to pick one lesson, the biggest lesson you learned going out and meeting, how many different communities did you visit? So we had 42 communities apply, and we visited 10, including Scranton. Uh, but that was before Dr. Feinberg was there. And, and we picked five. And the biggest lesson that you learned from visiting uh, that you didn't know before you started? So there's nothing I didn't know theoretically, but it's, it's like if you really want to understand another culture, you just have to go visit and meet people and hang out. Uh, 
I was in Spartanburg, so when we came the first time, there were 20 or 30 people in a room from church, healthcare, government, nonprofits. So I got this guy in a uniform next to me, and I asked him, who are you? He said, well, ma'am, I'm Neil Lurch. I'm the deputy sheriff of the jail here. We discovered we got the same customers as the mental health services, so now we're working together. Uh, unfortunately, he, uh, he's been trying to transform the jail and recently was relieved of his duties. So it's not easy. There's, there's a lot of entrenched whatever. And, uh, but that's the real challenge. It's changing the institutions. It's, you need institutional engagement as well as individual engagement to change a community. So, so playing off that a little bit, Dr. Feinberg, um, we were talking earlier about Scranton, and you called it a project. You called it a great place to start to show some things that you're passionate about changing. Can you talk a little bit about the choice of Scranton and then also your vision for what this emerges into or, or, or you know, transforms into? Yeah, absolutely. So thanks. And we, th we thought this would be a great opportunity to kind of officially launch this. So Esther has done world-class work in saying, let's actually get started and, and in these microcosms um, change communities. We talk in healthcare a lot about, well, as we're going from volume to value, it's all about these social determinants of health. So we're a large health system that spans five states in our insurance company and two states clinically. Um, we chose Scranton for a lot of the reasons that Esther just described, kind of self-contained, uh, great diversity, uh, worse off than other cities, you know, higher unemployment. And we said, what if, we, what if our moonshot was, let's make sure that every single person in Scranton is, uh, has access to healthy food. And if they can't afford it, we get it to them. That every person in Scranton has health literacy. That we know everyone's genome that we're working on the economy, that no young woman dies of breast cancer because of BRCA genes, um, that everyone has access to health care. What if we took every social determinant, including mental health and substance abuse, and said, we're going to eliminate them and make this the healthiest place in the country? And to do that, and I think it's a lot to what you mentioned earlier, we're certainly not going to do it alone. So we shamelessly copy. We brought in great advisors to kind of help us do this. We then went into the community where incredible work is already taking place and saying, can we help convene? And then probably most importantly, we spent a lot of time with the actual folks that we're trying to make impacts in their lives in and saying, tell us how to do it, partner with us, guide us, and don't let us screw this up. And so our goal is to say Scranton, as an example, will become the healthiest place. None of these bad social determinants will exist there. And then that playbook, sharing with our friends, becomes then the playbook to take this throughout the country. So we, we think we can have a phenomenal impact. And while we're officially announcing this today, we've been at work at, at this for about a year now and already are starting to see pretty dramatic coming together of the community around this, uh, hopefully, what we think is a pretty compelling vision. And informally working together already, already on no, this. I, I want to be very clear. Formally, Esther is our spiritual advisor. Whether we have, whether, <laughs> mine, whether mine, there's mine, any. Mine, mine too. Correct. Mine so too. whether, whether yeah. she says that or not, and whether we have anything on paper, that is official. And I'll, <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll take that to the end yeah. of the earth. I, I've, I've been to their meetings, and it's, it's so exciting because you really have everybody aligned. But we don't have any lawyers. Yeah, yeah. We're trying to save money. Right, we're yeah. trying to get more quinoa and kale, so we're yeah. not using yeah. a lot Th of thinking, thinking like entrepreneurs. So for the entrepreneurs out there, um, every entrepreneur thinks, how do I help? How can I participate? How can I help make an impact? Because with every, with every challenge you mentioned, lies solutions that are needed. And you said the most important part, which is we can't do it alone, and our entire thesis is that together we will improve the health and well-being of everyone in the world and it sounds like what you'll do in Scranton but what do you need from entrepreneurs and how can they contribute and participate well we, we need you to raise your hand we need you to come out raise we need hand. you to raise say hand. that you want to be part of this and then I would say the the um, 
the litmus test is you got to be aligned with us from a value standpoint. That this is not a flash for us. These Geisinger's been in existence a hundred years, and these families have lived there multi generational. We can't screw them up, and we can't screw this up. Um, so you got to come with the best intentions, and then we want you to be part of the team. Okay, hands raised. All right. All right. There we go. Uh, all right. Do I have? A yeah, I'd, I'd like to add one thing. It's really important for us to understand that what we're doing in these communities is not pilots. We're not testing stuff on people. We want rollouts. We want stuff that works, and we want to do it at scale. The big challenge for so many startups is moving from pilots to actually at scale. The other thing I want to mention is, uh, I don't know if this is proper, but I met Cognotion yesterday. They're in the business of training local people to become coaches, health workers, stuff like that. And the combination of employing people and having them deliver health in whatever form it is, whether it's health coaching, getting kids to the gym, managing social services, is what these communities really need. It's both employment and health. And so I was really excited with Cognition. There's um, lots of great people out here, right. also more clinical ones. Yes, actually a hand, round of applause for who's here to actually contribute to that. And, and Dr. Zane, I think it's a great layup for you because what you have already started doing is working with entrepreneurs and startups um, at UC Health. And what I've been really, um, I had high expectations and you, you blew them away when I've spent a lot of time out in Denver over the past year learning about how committed the, the institution and your partner institutions are at Antrutz Medical Campus. Can you talk a little bit about how we connect this back to the regional uniqueness, but yet a global kind of call for everybody to help you in Denver? Well, I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> I just want to point out that Scranton is the home of Scrapple, if everybody's ever heard of Scrapple. It's a delicious breakfast meat that's all the things they're afraid to put in sausage, then you deep fry in butter. So it's sort of the social determinants of health. Well, and don't, all, don't forget all, Joe Biden. I was, and right. also our guest yesterday, right. Joe Biden. And the Howard. TV show, The Office. <laughs> but enough about Scrapple. Like cue, cue the uh, soundtrack. So, uh, Colorado is the home of quinoa and kale. Uh, it, it's a very interesting place. I moved there from uh, Boston four and a half years ago. And we are the only academic medical center between Chicago and Utah, or Chicago and uh, San Francisco, depending on, on who you ask. Uh, the other thing that's very unique about Colorado is the Front Range, which is the populated area between Fort Collins and Colorado Springs with Denver in the middle, is growing at a rate of something like 12 to 18,000 people per month. So we have this amazing growing population of mostly millennials. We've had tremendous, half a billion dollars in investment around digital health. Uh, we have smart, committed people who are coming to Colorado who want to help us solve problems that we think are important to solve and we need their help. Combine that with a relatively new and growing healthcare system uh, that is committed to innovation, committed to changing the way in which we deliver care, <clears throat> committed to using the electronic medical record as a tool and not a weapon something that we really want to change the lives of people. So we've taken a group of committed people, clinical leaders, people who actually practice medicine and touch patients, implementation scientists, people who think about how you deploy something and how you prove that it works, healthcare economists, so that we can see what the difference between cost effectiveness and cost savings is. Uh, clinician programmers, so we can think about what we're writing and partner with engineers and smart people uh, and startups. So we think we've created this perfect ecosystem to transform healthcare. And we invite you to come out, and I see a lot of people here from Denver. It's really an unbelievable place, and we want to use it as an example for the United States, and we want to use it as an example for the world on how you can think proactively before you build a hospital, before 100,000 people move, 
before a new town becomes incorporated, before they build a new school, because all of those things are happening and we can think about that ahead of time. Instead of laying people off, we're hiring people. Instead of closing hospitals, we're building hospitals. So we have the opportunity to change our mindset, to think about how we do things proactively and prospectively. And what makes UC Health and what you're doing and the team you're putting together and the program you're putting together so unique, quite honestly, from everybody else out in the market trying to, some of the stuff sounded what, you know, like what other people might say in other organizations. What makes UC Health so different? The lack of dogma. Right? We, we've only existed for barely four years. Uh, we are growing and coming together. There is no one who says, this is the way we've done it for the last 50 years and that's the way we have to do it. We're recruiting experts and specialists and the top leaders in healthcare to Colorado. And think about what that means, just like Joe Biden said yesterday. When you get someone to leave UCLA or Harvard or Penn or Stanford to come to the middle of the country, they're betting their career on it. And they're going to be damned if they aren't successful. So that's the type of mindset that's happening now in Colorado. We are different because we've never done it before, so we don't have any preconceived notions of what you should, can't, or can do. So what, what everybody is working on um, is, is, is regionally interesting. What starts to get really exciting is when you start wanting to be a model for others, which it sounds like everybody here wants to do. Um, healthcare is one of these funny things that's always, each region is its own little ecosystem, and healthcare in New York is different than in Scranton and is different than Helsinki, Finland, or in Tel Aviv. Um, how do we elevate the learning and share the learning with other communities and other to accelerate all of this. I mean, our, our whole thinking here is, you know, over the next 25 years, if we can accomplish what would ordinarily take 100, it's going to come from working together. But how do we amplify these efforts and make sure that this learning isn't stuck in Denver or in Scranton or in only the 10 small communities that Wellville's starting with? Well, this is a marathon. Uh, it's not tomorrow, it's not the quick exit, it's how are we going to transform the face of healthcare. And we have to tell our stories. So we don't simply have to validate what we're doing, we need to disseminate it. And the stories come from individual patients and how we change their lives. So I'll give you an example. We partnered with one of the startup health companies, RX Review, to think about clinical decision support in prescriptions. And my example is a patient that I saw two weeks ago. A 45-year-old guy, he was a junior executive, he had insulin-dependent diabetes, so he needed insulin since he was a kid. He went to his primary care doctor before the holidays who wanted to change his insulin. The insulin was not covered by his insurance company, he couldn't get it. So for three weeks, despite calling and going and moving to all different places, he was without his insulin. That wouldn't happen in anywhere else. You would not order a part from your car dealer that came to your car and then all of a sudden you'd find it, it didn't fit. And people would say, well, you gotta figure that out on your own. We need to fix this. We need to tell these stories. We need to move forward deliberately and relentlessly. Are you codifying what you're doing so that it can be taught and shared with others? Yes, uh, in short. In long, we've described how we're doing it, what our process is, um, how you can be a part of it, and we're letting other people do it. So Jen Weiler, who's in the front row, is our director of our, our innovation center. She spends a lot of time showing other innovation centers how it is that we do this. We write a lot about what we do. We share about what we do. Because even though there are certain technologic elements that are proprietary, the nature of how you care for patients and how you tr transform healthcare is not proprietary. So, so I, I, with all due respect, I think you asked the wrong question. Please. So I, I think if we don't do it, some dropout from Stanford in a black turtleneck is going to completely disrupt our industry. <laughs> so um, we are so ripe to be disrupted that um, it's just going to happen. I mean, we will be Blockbuster or the taxis or Kodak, whoever you pick, because young people today want care that's accessible. We're not accessible. They want uh, answers. We don't give answers. They want to be able to move information around. I mean, all the things that are required in a real market-based economy, we hide behind. So what we've said is, for our organization, we got to get care in the room. We got to do the right thing with the patient, number one, because it's just the right thing to do. 
Number two, because in our particular communities, um, people don't move, so everybody knows everyone. So the patient we're taking care of um, is somebody's friend, neighbor, or relative. And number three, we're one of those places that America's watching, so we have to get it right because we're a model. Now, let's disrupt our own business. And so we announced last year that any patient who comes to Geisinger, any of our three million patients, if they don't think they were treated with respect, if their appointment wasn't good, if they didn't like the doctor, if the food was hot, if they didn't understand their bill, if they uh, got home and the stuff they needed when they got home wasn't there, if the insulin wasn't available, we'll give you all your money back. So we've, re we've returned a half a million dollars to our patients in the first what we think is kind of money back guarantee in healthcare. I mean, come on, Starbucks does it every day. You know, and so uh, we, we need to disrupt ourselves or we will be disrupted. So this idea of pilots is over. We gotta get it right. We gotta get it right really quickly because you know, in towns like San Francisco and down the peninsula, there and the people in the audience, you're waiting to disrupt our trillion dollar, multi-trillion dollar dysfunctional uh, process. That when you're sick, is not only you don't feel good, it's a hassle to get care. Uh, so three, three answers. One, the usual, we hope to have documentaries about what we're doing and, and the successes and the failures once we've achieved those. But there are two other really important things. One, we're not doing this, our communities, and again, we're just advising the communities, they're not doing this alone. There's a lot of, many of you have apps. I think those apps are most likely to be success, successful in combination with local coaches. If we can help you do that, then we know that our vendors and partners will spread it to other communities. So somebody with a diabetes prevention program, local coaches succeed in Spartanburg, they're gonna tell everybody else about it and, and try and spread it that way. So we're working with the disruptors to spread across. Um, second, actually, I forgot, but the, the basic thing we think is that it should be profitable to keep people healthy. And we expect that commercial motive to help spread it because if it works, again, in our communities, it should work in other places. So we're very interested in that local national combination. So um, drawing a little bit off of what you said, Dr. Feinberg, about being disrupted. So this sector is, or in this industry, or whatever we want to call health and health care and well-being, is the only place where entrepreneurs can't just come disrupt and move everybody aside, right? Um, it's not like uh, in, an entrepreneur wants to start and just kill everybody above it. Uh, whether it's payers or providers or pharmaceutical companies, the flow, the workflow, the regulation, the processes, who pays, who gets value, who approves the bank, so many different players. And every entrepreneur loves to think they're unique because they've got so many different customers and who pays and who receives. Tell me how you believe Geisinger is a special, can be a special partner to the disruptors. It's, you sound like the renegade CEO who says, we're gonna give your money back, right? Um, Toby Cosgrove sat here in my seat yesterday talking about they don't hire smokers anymore, period, right? And just changes things. How do you take that and, so to speak, put your money where your mouth is with entrepreneurs and say, we'll partner and we'll do the disrupting with you? Well, I, I, I don't think there's any other way to do it but that way. I mean, that it really, first of all, when you get, when you've been in this business for a while, all you see are patterns. And it's really hard to see things in a different way. You need young people that have that entrepreneurial spirit to come into your system. We've been doing that for a long time. So the, the system that I'm fortunate to be part of for 100 years has been spinning off stuff, uh, commercializing stuff, setting up for-profit companies. Um, and some have been winners and some have been big losers. So it, the culture is uh, absolutely crucial to be the fertile ground for that to happen. Um, I don't know what else to say beyond that, but we're, there's other places like us that I think want folks to come in and, and, and help stir the pot. Uh, Dr. Zane, tell me a little bit about the mindset of the organization um, from the perspective of being that good partner for the entrepreneur and the startup and the 
collaboration that you, I know you believe need to take place as kind of co-development partners, so to speak, with the aim as a synced vision for what you want to accomplish? I guess the shorter answer is bring it on, right? Just come on and bring it. Bring your A game. Um, we're going to show you how it is that you approach healthcare, how a provider thinks, um, how a nurse approaches a patient, how a doctor approaches electronic medical record, which is a catastrophe. Uh, we want you to call us out. And then we're going to have a partnership and we're going to try and figure something out together. So the, the short answer is just bring it on and bring your A game, be shockingly candid. Uh, we may say no, but we may say yes, and we'll probably figure something out together um, as long as you know, you're not too sensitive. Esther? So it's really important when you want to change, especially these lower income, how shall we say, underserved communities, to give people hope. These are, these are not entrepreneurs who are going out and risking everything, and they want to be Bill Gates, and they have a brother-in-law who's got some startup. These are people who live in towns where life is really tough. Most of the people they know are probably going to get diabetes or, you know, it's, it's like changing that mentality by seeing things work and not just hope, but also willing to take a risk to become accountable for something working. Failure is not the worst thing in the world. That's, you guys all know that. But in a lot of communities, people don't know that and they're, they're not willing to risk failure because it could be disruptive and they are afraid of being disrupted. So our challenge is to show how things can work, to help people take that risk, to give them examples. And the, the informal partnership between Geyser, Geisinger and Way to Wellville, that's six communities learning from one another. There's another 35, because Geisinger is one of them, we call them Greater Wellville. They're the communities that applied but that we're not working with. They're connected online and they're watching. Watching what Geisinger is doing with reducing opioid prescriptions. Uh, I don't know if you know this, Mike Evans is giving a webinar for us on Excellent. January 30th. So they're really eager to learn what from the other people have done. It makes it more real to know someone else has dealt with the same struggles you have. Um, do we anybody have any, anybody have any questions? We can take one or two questions. If you have, raise your hand. Otherwise, I'm going to, uh, we have a microphone over here. Just introduce yourself, please stand up. Hi, I'm Neela Pagel with uh, Proteus Digital Health. And I really appreciate all of your comments about wanting to innovate and providers wanting to do new things. Can you hold that up a little closer? Sure. Um, but one of the things that I, you know, I feel that really hampers innovation is a lot of the regulatory scheme and the legal scheme. And I'm a lawyer, so I fully understand what what um, it takes to to run a healthcare system or you know, all the rules and regulations we have to follow. But how do you work within that framework, or how do you think that framework affects how you want to innovate? So can I give can I take a shot of that one? Um, so I, I get to Geisinger about a year and a half ago. Uh, I had been at UCLA for 25 years. We didn't have a health plan. So now I'm at a place that has a health plan. And uh, there's about six doctors in Pennsylvania that are prescribing only opiates to our Medicaid patients. They're not part of our Medicaid network, but they are patients that uh, then take $100 and go buy a script from a script doctor. And I said, well, we got to stop filling these people's scripts. We're killing them. And the health plan people said to me, well, that's against the law. We're not allowed to do that. And I'm like, well, just do it anyways and send the regulators to me. You know, that we're going we're gonna to take six doctors who've never put in a medical code and only prescribe opiates away without going through the, the, the regulatory stuff. I think the guiding principle has to do the right thing, and then you figure out how, you, you know, we got a lot of lawyers, and they can then cover us and take care of us. If you're really patient-centered, um, I think it makes it really easy to make decisions. So I think that has to be the guiding principle. And the regulations will catch up, or you'll get in trouble, and you'll pay some fine, but you'll be able to sleep at night. Rich, do you want to add anything? So I live in Colorado, which is the Wild West, so they have never met a regulation that they actually like. 
the, our job is really to help you think about how to not have to deal with the regulations or understand the regulations or understand the guiding principles or the archaic thought behind those regulations. And that's why it's so important to partner. And that's why startups can't simply go out by themselves without partnering with, with healthcare and why we can't do it without you. So it just represents another reason why we have to partner and guide each other. You want anything? You don't uh, like no, next question. Yes. Anne? One of the challenges in the community. Introduce yourself. Uh, sorry, Andy Gaze from Health Tech Capital. Uh, so one of the challenges in the community is the fragmentation of the alignment of interest. So let's say in Scranton, for example, you know, do you only provide the education to the members of your community, or as we have shown on Facebook, the friends of the friends that makes you obese? Uh, I mean, how do you handle that, and how do you align who pays for this? So, so we, we're taking care of everyone, whether they're our patient, whether they're our insurance. If you live in Scranton, we are part of our, our club. How, how, will, how, will you how will you define success, and both of you? Well, I think Esther's done a better job of those kind of measures, and we're copying Esther. <laughs> <laughs> um, to answer specifically, for any particular thing you're doing, like an obesity prevention program, or reduction, you need to be really specific about your goals. Uh, one of the communities was like 3% or three percentage points, what's the difference? You gotta know that and measure something specifically. But then the overall goals, we're using the Institute for Health Improvement's 100 million healthier lives specific goals because we figure we don't want to teach to our own test. We're gonna, whatever they come up with, we'll follow. But as I said, the real one is, if you mention Scranton or Muskegon or Lake County, will people say, yeah, I hear the schools there are good, people are moving there, employers are finding <coughs> great employees. There's a sort of buzz about a community and that's what we want these communities to have and then other communities to follow. That's success. Okay, uh, a couple more questions, Mike Maselli. Dr. Feinberg, uh, first of all, thank you for your, the way you think, the, your leadership, and how you're approaching your, your organization. Um, I also come from Denver, Colorado, and we are very blessed to have an incredible ecosystem uh, a mile high. I've been working with startups for many years. I work with health systems, payers, providers across this nation and now across the globe. I believe that innovation doesn't just start with a technology first, it's a mind shift. And I firmly believe, and, I'm, and I may offend some people in the room, but I, I really don't care anymore. There are tons of managers, administrators, and vice presidents that are trying to protect their fiefdom every single day. How do we teach a culture of innovation inside a health system like yours and beyond? That it's okay to take risk. It's okay to move a million miles an hour. It's okay to break things, not necessarily at the risk of our patients, but that mind shift that entrepreneurs live by every single day. How do we empower those vice presidents, those managers, those administrators, and those frontline folks to think like the entrepreneur and to actually embrace innovation from a cultural mind shift? Well, I, I think it's a great question. First of all, when we screw up, people die. So, so and I said not at the risk of the patient. Yeah, so we gotta keep that in mind. The, um, it's, it's really the ecosystem and the culture, and I think, to me, as a leader, the most powerful tool we have is, is storytelling. And so when you hear about how difficult it is for a patient, if we agree that's the problem we're trying to solve, even my um, curmudgeon administrators will connect with that cool entrepreneur and say, let's solve that problem together because why those people come to work uh, is to make it better for our patients. So I think it's that compelling vision or our members or our community that that there's the purpose. And if you really align around the purpose, I think you can break down a lot of those barriers. Excellent. And there was other, who's got the microphone? You have the microphone back there? This has been really incredible. My name is Eitan Walls. I'm CEO oh, a little of, closer. sorry, how about this? Uh, my name is Eitan Walls. I'm CEO of Allied Physicians Group in New York. And I, you know, I thank Stephen and Startup Health for having a children's health moonshots because we don't hear about kids. And I, I'd like to hear from Esther and from, from Dr. Feinberg about in, in your groups in, in, in these Wellville uh, organizations, how you're um, teaching children about how to take care of their health as part of this, uh, this 
this project? Okay. Uh, so these are communities that people like you probably don't live in. There are a lot of grown-ups there who have really tough lives. And let's face it, healthcare or health they're too busy trying to get to work, get the car fixed, get the kids out of the house, or find out where the kids are after school or whatever. So often the pitch is not, we're gonna change your life, but don't you want a better life for your kids? So we work, again, we're early, we haven't done all this yet, but we're in each community we're trying to get either nurse family partnership or the equivalent to help mothers at risk especially, and just start the life off right, make sure the mother's not smoking or drinking or taking drugs. Early childhood education. Again, in one community I said, so what, what are you feeding these kids in the early childhood? Pro oh, we're, we're in education, we're not in nutrition. Uh, let's change that. School lunch, dental care. Uh, who knows what baby it bottle rot is? Yeah, uh, some of you do, some of you, that's one thing I learned on that trip. It's, it's when you give a kid a sippy cup and their teeth rot away, and it's really painful to see. So, stuff like that. Uh, trying to do farm to table in the school. Muskegon especially has a lot of that. Lake County, just north of here, has a culinary institute. Again, spreading that from one or two schools to all the schools. I, I could go on, but it's that kind of thing. Just change the conditions, change the choices people have so it's easy to make the right choices. Do you want anything? So we're focusing on health literacy and making, I'm sorry, literacy so kids can read and also preventing abuse. So I think it's really clear you can predict who's at high risk for abuse and it's also really pretty straightforward how to prevent that. We need to... Um, execute on those types of strategies. By the way, for, for the record, we don't have enough entrepreneurs around the world working on the children's health moonshots. And we, we want to see, we know we track them all and there's still not enough of them. Um, and we, I know, are committed both at Startup Health Colorado and I know at Geisinger and each of these communities to, to working on that because it's got to start with, the, it's got to start with our children. Um, we have time for one more question. Um, and we've got a mic over here and a mic over here. Anybody have any questions or I'll, I'll do it? Uh, hand back there and then we'll wrap up. Yeah. Hi, Jenny Gallagher, CEO of Helpful. Um, Esther, this question's for you. I'm just curious in terms of Road to Wellville, uh, focus uh, in the communities on aging well and gerontology. So it's, it's part of the whole thing. It's each community has different focuses, and one thing we're hoping to do is bring in better transportation systems that will enable older people to just socialize more. That turns out to be one of the really big issues. And of course, again, difficult to get to them to deliver care, difficult for them to go out and get food. So that's part of it. So, um I know we can go on and on. I know there's yes. probably uh, lots more dimensions to this conversation. Um, one of the goals for 2017 at Startup Health is to build on our success and work on the success of our regional network affiliate programs. Uh, first, Startup Health Finland and now Startup Health Colorado, both deepening the successes there, but also sharing that model in other regions around the world. And we hope that we'll see at least five to 10 new hubs emerge this year around the world with Startup Health and the partnerships as models that are opening up the conversation to others. What are each of your goals for 2017 as it relates to innovation, as it relates to entrepreneurship, as it relates to when we sit back down a year from now at Startup Health Festival, what would make you really happy with your organization's progress as it relates to innovation? I, I think that's, uh, a hard and a very easy question. Uh, I'll take the At least easy part. you didn't part. tell me it was the wrong question. So <laughs> uh, it's just the wrong breakfast meat. Uh, I think that what success will look like in a year is when 
everybody on my campus, everybody with whom I work, thinks about this first when they get up in the morning. They think about how we're gonna change what we do tomorrow instead of I can't wait to do it just the way I did yesterday. That is what success will look like. Everything else will come if we can change that mindset. And if we have progress next year, that will be success. Excellent. Uh, for us, it would be to eliminate all waiting rooms. I don't think patients should ever wait. Uh, we want zero minutes uh, for treatment in our emergency rooms. We I want to convert all our waiting rooms into clinical space because we've been expecting you. The app will tell you what time you come in. We'd be waiting for you. Uh, I, I think we have it completely backwards in healthcare. It's so provider-centered. We build this inventory of patients so that almighty provider doesn't have to waste a second. We got to flip it. It has to be on your schedule when you want it, and you will never, ever wait. So we're trying to pull that off in the next year. Is that already rolling out? Oh, yeah. Oh. yeah. Fantastic. Esther. So what I would like to see is in each community, there's one large-scale specific <laughs> program, whether it's nurse family partnership or diabetes prevention or something like that with metrics, with a specific person with a real budget and real goals and accountable for achieving that, along with other complementary things. But that a moonshot, so to speak, in each community with a defined moon. Excellent. Well, I, um, I want to thank all of you for, for not only uh, spending the last hour with us, but everything that you do every day. Because you don't have to do it. You want to do it. You're committed to doing it. And I know it's not easy, and like every entrepreneur who gets up every day without a paycheck and without any certainty that it's going to work, um, your commitment is inspiring. And I know that for every entrepreneur out there watching and listening, um, they are feeling the breath of fresh air that it is from leadership down, the support and the urgency that I think is so critical for a partner's mindset that gets matched with an entrepreneur's mindset to actually be able to collaborate with organizations that are as committed as they are. So thank you very much, thank you very much, and we are so appreciative not only being here this morning, but spending the last day and today with us. So thank you very much. Thank you.